Welcome to the Nick and Matt Show, bringing the player interviews you want to hear and the hot topics you want to discuss. Recording live in studio, here's Nick and Matt. What's up, everybody? Episode 76 in... No, it's not Nick and Matt. <laughs> it's the Nick and Matt Show. Evan, you're filling in for Nick tonight. He's in the air flying right now, uh, flapping his wings really hard uh, coming from Florida. But what's up, man? Not much. Just hanging out. Uh, we had some incredible snow this past weekend. Uh, in- incredible. Back to work this week, yeah. Yeah, incredible as in like, depending where you were in Massachusetts, it varied significantly. But uh, like... I think we only got 15 inches. I say only. Anybody out there that's thinking it's a lot. 15 inches in central mass, and we've got in portions of mass, what do they hit, like 30? Something crazy? 30 inches? I don't know the final numbers. I know like kind of the, the cape and kind of the uh, the shoreline got hit pretty hard. I think they were above 20 or so. With with like hurricane-like winds, uh, it was wild. Uh yeah. But I, I think I think everything's good as far as uh, no power outages, nothing crazy <laughs> closed down, things like that. Yeah, not well. <laughs> so many stories for another time. I think you saw actually because you got tagged in something like five hours before this, like bombogenesis they called it, the bomb cyclone of a storm. Like my snowblower is not working, and like it was working, like. I started, it was running, then it clogged. I think it's the carburetor clogged. And like I'm pull starting it. And then the rope breaks up. <laughs> I'm like, ooh. I'm like, can this get worse? So then I have an electric starter. I go to electric start and I'm just holding the button down. Just bah, 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 you know, just holding it down. It's not starting. And I'm reading, it says, do not try to start with the electric starter like more than 10 times at five second intervals. I'm like, well, I just blew this too. <laughs> so but yeah. Hey, you got you got how many kids? I know they're young, but give them some shovels. Tell them to get in line. Uh, that's yeah. their chores for the day. My there's six of us in my family now. It's me, my wife, and four boys. And my wife said, "Well, there's five of us to shovel." And I'm like, five? You mean I get to stay inside?" <laughs> <laughs> but no, it doesn't work that way. A- anyways, I got it working, and th- that's good news. And it was able to snowblow, and it's beautiful outside and cold, but beautiful. Did you get to ski or anything in the? Uh, in the like what do they call it? like alpine forest like you go off the trails through all the powder oh i mean they call it a powder day uh but that's you know it depends on if you're skiing or not uh like if they groom it or not but then there's uh the glades is what i think you're going for or like backcountry yep uh but no i did not get to go skiing this weekend i was hoping to go saturday but i don't love testing the weather and driving uh then was busy on sunday dude what is the powder like on this storm? It was the most powdery powder. Like, mm-hmm. well, it's, you yes can't even no. make a snowball. Yeah. You have to dunk that thing in water. Crazy. But, but that that kind of powder is what people love. That's what like kind of the West Coast gets a lot. They call it like champagne powder. Wow. Uh, and we just don't get that out here. We get just nasty, heavy, wet snow usually. So would have been a good day. Yeah. Well, we just talked about snow for the first five minutes of the show. <laughs> I hope those uh, enjoying it around the world that don't see snow hearing us talk about snow. And you can see all the maps of mountains and skiing and whatnot behind Evan. So he's definitely a fan of that. So tonight's show, we're talking to Des Redding. We mentioned this last week that we were going to try to line it up after Nick and Haley. I'll, I'll put myself in that ring a little bit. I cheated with the chat, but Nick and Haley weren't able to come up with Des Redding as one of the answers for the tiebreaker in Stat or Fiction. 
we reached out to Des. They said they heard that portion of the show last week and they were entertained. They would love to come on. For those of you who do not know Des Redding or Jay, Jay Yeti, uh, you're missing out. This will be fantastic. I'm excited to hear about Des's quote unquote return to disc golf. She hasn't left. We'll talk about all the things she's been doing, but like as far as com- competition goes, she's coming back this year. Um, also, let me tease this out, Evan. What do you think about this? The name Jackie Chen. What what does that ring a bell for you? Does does anything come to mind when you hear that name? I think it's like <clears throat> he's some kind of hidden secret. Maybe you hear his name, you hear the rating that he has, and people are like, "Is it true? Is he really that good?" Uh, his rating speaks for it, but we're not quite sure. We need to see him stack up against. Uh, the North American competition, as some would say, uh, but excitement to maybe see if it is, if it is true. I, so long story short, I reached out to Jackie Chen in Taiwan and was like, we would love to have you on the show. And he responded and better than I can talk Mandarin. I'll tell you that he responded in English, but he's like, my English isn't good. And so he was hesitant to say yes, but he said, let me reach out to a friend who can speak English and Mandarin, and let's see if we can make this happen. Two days later, his friend reached out to us, said, let's make this happen. I'm talking to someone in Taiwan. It's like two in the morning for them. It's like in the morning for me. And we're coordinating to where Jackie Chen will be in California this week. Um, His buddy will still be in Taiwan, and we're going to make it all collaborate together with different time zones globally an interview with Jackie Chen. He's coming over to the U.S. for the first time. And as Evan just said, we don't know what's going to happen. Do you happen to, by chance, know, like, his highest rating? Or could you look that up real quick for us? I I can check it real quick. I think his highest round rating is, it's in the 1050s. Okay. Um, He has, I think, four total rounds over 1040. And that's four, like, four total rounds. That's out of playing, I think, 12 PDGA official rounds. So that like four out of 12, four out of, I know I think it's four out of 10. So four out of 10 is pretty good. That's 40%. And uh, I did some research about that number and I'll leave it at that. Yeah. I feel like you, you nailed it, dude. You said there's a mystery to it because it's like, can he compete? He laid down ratings and there's been a whole discussion around ratings. Uh, how do they actually work? Does it work internationally like that? Does it actually give us a good reference point? But if we speculate that that is actually a good reference point, he's competing at the top level where he should finish top 10 at a pro tour event, like based off of that. And we want to know a little bit about him before we get to the Las Vegas challenge. So we're going to do that through an interpreter and it should be pretty interesting. So if you're interested in hearing more about Jackie Chen, definitely our goal is to have it next week. We're going to try our hardest to make that happen. Um, people say, have you heard this? People talk about his um, form. Have you heard who they reference for his form? No. Okay. Paul Macbeth. Like, pro pro mm-hmm. players are saying, like, the spitting image. If I've ever seen one, it's Paul Macbeth. So. That's so cool. So wait till you see his throw. You'll go. I think you'll, you'll probably fall in line and feel the same. Probably. Um, so be- before we get to our Des Redding, again, just a reminder, Nick's not here. If you caught the front of the podcast, you heard that. This is Evan, <laughs> Statman, though, Evan. And um, we've got stuff lined up, but Nick's in the air. 
He said his flight got delayed, but I think he just wanted to stick it out in Florida for a little longer. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so he might jump in the chat. You never know. Like he mentioned, he might jump in the chat, the chat and um, catch it in between flights or something. So if you see him, let him know. Give him a hard time. All right. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about what happened this week as far as news. Again, not a very loud week, but there's still interesting things to talk about. Um, Kevin Jones announced, and I say announced, everyone's coming out with announcements all the time, but Kevin Jones announces the Beacon Sports Management is taking care of the, quote, business side of things while he focuses on disc golf. Uh, it's becoming more popular to do that. Um, what, what do you think, Evan? I mean, are we just going to continually see players any level finding out that a managing system or a managing group is good for them? I think anyone who's consistently finishing top 10, even top 20 in pro tour events, elite series majors, they should be, they should be doing the same thing. Kevin Jones is definitely a good enough player that he should not be focusing on all the extra business stuff. He should be leaving that for, uh, people that that's their job while his job is to be the best disc golfer he can be. How much of a difference we don't know. I mean, stats will eventually, we're going to talk about this later too, stats and how the future looks for stats, but we don't really know how much it's going to affect the player to not have to think about social media because the reality is you really do need a good social presence for your brand nowadays. Can you play disc golf? Can you win events? Can you just make a name for yourself winning? Yes, especially if you're just if you're winning everything. Like you don't need a big social presence. Like you know who comes to mind for me and maybe I'm just missing it, but it's Calvin Heimberg. How would you rate his social presence from his channels? You know, he doesn't post a lot on his Instagram, I believe. I'm not huge on Instagram, but you hear that. Um, and his own personal socials, yeah, he doesn't do a whole lot as of now, but I think that's something you're hinting at. It's in the works that, you know, he's going to try to grow and he, he might have other people do that so he can focus on the game. Exactly. So that's kind of the conversation here. We don't know. There's not enough history or a large enough sample to determine how much that affects a player, like how much of an advantage does Paul Macbeth have, which actually pretty sure Paul Macbeth is doing his own social media. I, I'm pretty sure. Um, I don't know that Ricky fully is. I know he's got help there with certain things we've seen. Um, there's other players, Kevin Jones, I know doesn't manage his own social media for the most part. There's a, there's a list page Pierce, like, it's happening more and more and more. Obviously, they have their own, like, connection to it. Like, they can if they want to. But, like, that's not them regularly doing it. It's good for their brand. But, we again, do we know how much it actually affects? How much mental power, I guess, is what I'm getting to, have they been putting into that? Where, like, oh, now we're going to see leaps and bounds better out of, like, a Kevin Jones, you know? I think it's different for everyone. You know, some people might really like doing that. They might like you know, maybe the vlogging aspects they want, you know, be posted on Instagram or TikTok or Snapchat, you know, a couple hours a day. That's fun to them. That's how they relax. Some people might just want to not talk to anyone and, and just hang out or, or do something else or watch TV, play video games. Uh, so some people might want to do it more than others, but I, I don't think it's going to be like immediately like, Oh, Kevin Jones, 
hires <clears throat> this group to do the business aspect and his average placement goes up, you know, like four spots and he's, you know, fighting for a win every single week compared to fighting for top five every week that he kind of is at. Uh, I don't think it's going to be immediate that difference. I think it's just kind of something that it, it's a, it's a hidden effect, I think more, but I guess you could quantify it, but it's kind of hard to say. Yeah. And I think the large discussion, if you were to sit down and have hours worth of conversations on this topic, you would eventually circle around to the same thing that happens at the Olympics every four years, which is how do I get down to the smallest advantage that I can? And I'm talking like, if me shaving my head and my legs and my arms helps me by half a second in the pool, what's half a second? But that's the difference between a world record or a gold medal or a silver medal. Like these micro differences, it's it all compounded together make a, a stroke or two difference, which could be winning worlds or not. And I think that's why we're seeing like disc golf strong people like working out hard, hard. There is an advantage there. Is it only going to be an advantage because you're working out? No, you have to put in other work too, but all of them compounded together are going to make that difference. Again, is it half a stroke? That's still an advantage. Well, going back to our interview, what was it last week with Haley King? I think it was, it was a little bit more personal matters for her that I think she's hoping to overcome this year, but she did say that that played a huge part in her mental game when, you know, she start to struggle a little bit. That would kind of take over and it would kind of build up. And this year she feels like whatever it is going on, that she's in a better place to, uh, to keep up a positive mindset. And so it, that could be a personal matter for Haley, but for someone else, it could be, you know, the worry about buying a house it could be the worry about like, Oh, where's my next contract? Or I'm trying to get this deal with an outside company to do a commercial in a, couple, a month or so. Like I'm worried about all this stuff and how the meeting is going to go. Uh, it, it could be that for anyone. So just just having that pressure off, I'm sure, is a huge help. I agree. That's a that's a topic we could expand on it more in the future. And I think we're going to kind of dabble in it a little bit later when we talk about some of the future of stats. But let's move into a couple other small topics here as we get ready to bring in Des Redding. Um, Cynthia Ricciotti, someone that we haven't seen a whole bunch of on tour we know who she is. I believe she's girlfriend of Kyle Klein, or at least they're traveling together. And she came up through the junior scene, junior worlds, competing uh, fairly high level, and now has received a sponsorship with the Discmania tour team. I think it only makes sense traveling with Kyle Klein. Um, are we going to see more of this? Um, like Hannah Macbeth, Discraft, uh, Cynthia, Discmania. I mean... Missy Gannon's boyfriend plays disc golf, but not at a pro open level, but would he be disc craft? And like, is that something that just makes sense for these players touring together? I think it's depending on the situation, not to, to play both sides, but I could see how, you know, if you share discs or share, you know, other accessories, maybe that's just really easy just to have it all be one company. You can handle it all in the same time. Uh, but the other aspect is what if someone's getting underpaid? What if one person has the huge contract and the other one's like, hey, like I can make double if I just move over to this company. But then they feel like they can't because they want to stay the same companies. So I think if you're getting relatively the same deal, probably makes sense to be on the same, but to not be stuck in that. If if somebody comes calling to Cynthia Ricciotti at the end of next season or when her contract's up and is offering to pay your double, I would I would assume that she would at least explore the option to then go to that company. Right. And does this conversation extend into the, 
I don't want to leave anybody out, but the upper echelon, if you will, like Katrina Allen and her partner on the road, um, does it make sense for her to join forces there? Is that going to happen next year? She went to DGA this year. Would she change? Like, I know people are going to call me crazy. They're like, why would you even bring this up? Nobody's basing their decisions that way. But I think there is some level, as you mentioned, money is a major factor in it, but there is some level for the lower tiers. I don't think it extends past a certain point. Um, like we thought maybe, did you think I, I did Kona Panis and Colton, maybe Kona was going to be disc mania. Like it makes sense. They're traveling on the road together. They've got the, the van and all that to do it. But like, you know what I mean? Did you have that consideration at any point? I think a lot of people did. I, I didn't just, you know, say disc mania has no chance. I, I had no clue where she was going. I thought it could have been either or. I could have seen her following Colton and, and both being a Dismania or not. Again, to kind of sit on this fence of, I, I think it could go either way. And I think Kona might have been the one who got more money than Colton. I don't know what his <laughs> contract's like, but I would guess that Kona's is higher. So maybe we see Colton switch to DDs in the future. What an awesome world we live in is all I have to say, where disc golf is now. We always wanted this, like, I say we. I do not speak for everybody, but we always thought this equality could be really a neat thing in disc golf. That's in no other sport. Um, I was not the one rooting for it, but I was never standing against it. I said, if it works, if it makes sense, let's do it. But I, I didn't always see the roadmap to get there, but it seems like in some of these situations it's happening where I feel like this is excellent for our sport all around. A few other quick things. Alexis extends with Discraft. I feel it interesting that it, Feels kind of late in the season to announce like an extension with a sponsor. Um, I'm not sure what, what that's tied to, why you would wait this long. Is it literally you're like the last name to get on the, the list of getting secured? I don't know, but she did announce that. Um, a few others, Missy Gannon today announced Ledgestone, uh, the tournament, Ledgestone, the insurance company, but through the tournament, um, taking her on as a team player sponsor. Uh, we saw that with Eulaberry. Um, I'm thinking Callaway. I think Callaway's another one. And there's a handful of players that Nate Heinel, the TD, and the mastermind behind the Ledgestone and many other of these events is bringing on players to represent the brand. That tournament, Ledgestone, is becoming a massive business for disc golf. I, I, I don't know how to explain it any other way to say that tournament is generating millions of dollars. And I'm not giving a timeline on it, but do you see the future of tournaments becoming massive like that, where the tournament is just so expensive? Yeah, I think Letchstone is, they might have not been the first. They could have been the first too, but they're definitely not going to be the last. I, I think it makes a ton of sense to, uh, to a, a TD who runs things really well in Nate Heinold, who TDs multiple events, um, and has kind of his business working very closely with Discraft and, and doing the Ledgestone edition discs, which are really popular. I think just tying it all together makes a lot of sense. You don't have to push everything on Discraft's site. Some of the uh, other Discraft players release special discs through Ledgestone, and it's a Ledgestone Tour Series disc. Uh, I think it makes perfect sense because Discraft can't do everything, and uh, Nate can do a lot of things, so he can just do some of these. <laughs> it's it makes tremendous sense i think he's doing everything i feel like right like when i think of how a tournament is run paying staff 
And at the end of an event, coming away with profit, as much as that frustrates some people, it makes me cheer because it's telling me the sport is getting to a place where you can invest back in or you can take some in profit off of the fact of your hard work. Either way, that money is there where it used to always be like 100% volunteer. So I don't know where you land on the fence with that, but that to me speaks volumes about where disc golf is that he can take a salary and pay salaries. So are you in a similar mindset there? I know there's been a lot of conversation on like people getting paid to run tournaments, but like, where do you sit on that? Oh, if, if you do an incredible job and you're bringing all that money in for the sport, for players, for Discraft, for whoever, like Discraft being Nate Heidel in this situation, uh, then absolutely should get paid. And especially if you're doing all this extra stuff as having your own business be, you know, a, a whole disc golf store that Ledgestone's becoming. Uh, there is no problem with that in my mind. I think more people should do that. Um, and I, I have no problem with it. Awesome. So we've lined up uh, a name that some may not be familiar with, as sad as that is to say, but we're going to introduce her through the Nick and Matt show again. We're excited to do that. Uh, so without further ado, let's go ahead and bring in our guest of the night, uh, Des Redding. Welcome to the show, Des. How are you doing? Real good tonight. <laughs> Great. Uh, that was like a kazoo whistle, right? Or something like that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that was my, uh, that's my team whistle I saw when I made the post that I was going to be on the Nick and Matt show and uh, Evan here. So shout out to Evan and Nick and Scott. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, someone wanted me to do the Yeti whistle, which Yeti's Yeti. And uh, so you get my <laughs> That is awesome. First of all, yeah, I didn't mention to you, but well, because Nick didn't mention to us until late. He's on a flight that got delayed, so he's in the air right now. So you get to talk yeah. to you get to talk to Evan and Matt. It's not the same. It's still pretty good. Nick is in the chat, so anyone can go uh, say hi to him there too, as well. That's right. Nick is in the chat. Nick, you can submit your questions through the chat, just like everyone else. <laughs> All right. So Des, I want to introduce you this way. We're going to talk some about this, but I want to give people right off the bat a little bit of history for you. And these are your very notables, in my opinion. You're a four-time PDGA world champion, five-time United States women's champion, four-time PDGA player of the year. You are in the Disc Golf Hall of Fame from the class of 2017. And you have so many victories, at least 30 in the PDGA national tour. And you've been playing quite a while. With those accomplishments, there must be a story behind your journey to get there. Would you tell us how and when you discovered disc golf and how much of your life has been about disc golf? <laughs> well, let's see. I, um, I actually just turned 50. So over, well over 30 years of my career was almost been on disc golf. So I was a division one college pitcher, full scholarship at the University of Northern Iowa we were lucky enough to have a course in Cedar Falls, Iowa. It predates the top 10 of the courses that were installed by Steady Ed. Back in the day, Steady Ed went around to physical education conferences, similar to what Jay and I have done through the EDGE program for 20 plus years. And uh, a physical educator got, uh, he won baskets that put courses in at Tourist Park in Cedar Falls. So it is one of the longstanding oldest courses in the United States. And both Jay and I were fortunate enough to be um, full scholarship athletes, which meant basically you couldn't earn any outside 
money. And at some point you needed to um, take the pressures off of college athletics and college sports and disc golf at this tourist park was the complete remedy for us. Uh, we were hooked up with uh, just a lid to play. We actually played at that point in time because we weren't familiar with disc golf itself. It's kind of ironic in my history that parallels a little bit of Juliana. She might have been one of those that was running around with a bag at the time when I was running around with just the lid counting basket and above counted. No pull. Um, so I was introduced to disc golf in 93 to 94. I played uh, about four or five years very casually as Jay and I graduated from college and we started our own business and then we joined the PDJ in 1999. Um, one of my first tournaments was the Summer Sweat in Fort Madison, Iowa. Um, so yeah, I've had a, I've had a long, uh, long career of making disc golf work for me and uh, disc golf helping me succeed in life. It's, it's been a quite the journey. Okay. Yeah. And so there's a big, there's a lot of stories in there. I'm sure a lot of disc golf stories. You've traveled <laughs> the country, the world. Disc golf is a big part of your life. Uh, let's just start, yep. let's just start with this. Cause you've made some announcements recently that are interesting. And we're going to talk about as much as we can. But you were a significant part of, well, I should say your main sponsor was Innova Champion Disc for nearly, how long was that, approximately? Uh, yeah, I was sponsored by Innova before I was world champion. I, I was uh, a world champion in 2002. I was sponsored by Innova beforehand. They took a leap. Actually, Sam Perrins and uh, Dave Doniface came down and played the world doubles that was held at Circle R Ranch in, um, right outside to where I live right now, right outside of Austin, Texas. And uh, Sheila Kirkenmaya, a disc craft thrower, I aced. Uh, she parked the shot. I aced to win that doubles event and uh, solidified uh, my Innova champion sponsorship, which would have been in 2001. So I won my first Worlds in 2002, Rookie of the Year in 2001. So, yes, I've been an Innova-sponsored player since 2001. Okay. Uh, I guess I'll try to make this a simple question and let you give your take on it. Did you leave them recently or did they leave you? And what's, what's the deal there? Well, it's interesting. When I took the job with the PDJ as the youth and education manager, I had to relinquish my sponsorship for Innova. Um, Innova did me a solid and they left me on their website as part of a, a legacy and integral part of the Innova team for those 20 plus years. When I came back and I resigned from the PDJ, um, negotiations did not go the way I felt they needed to go with what I was offering to Innova and my longevity with them. And um, Mint knew just from being friends with me and a real great, reputable Texas company knew that I was available on the market. I did not seek really out anybody, but um, Mint knew just from being down here that I was available and they put in some great offers and I had other offers that came through, but Mint and the local just exceeded everything that I needed to go forward with. So disc golf sponsorships have, from my perspective, transformed and changed and evolved a lot, even in the recent, let's say five years or four years or it's a very short period of time and you we're going to talk a little bit about it but 2016 was kind of your last season like full season is that correct 2016 that sounds about right let me think about 2018 was really the catalyst when i had to get my let's see Paige pierce always wins in odd numbers currently <laughs> right so 
it was at Vermont with shoe winning um, in 18. So yeah, that might be a right. Um, I did, I did tour for 20 years consistently. Um, I was one of the founding members that helped with the national tour when Pat Dovang and Teo Posey were on the board and we actually were um, solidifying what would a national tour be as a professional standards. So I did tour for 20 plus years. I took the last two years off and especially when I took the job with the PDGA, the touring schedule did not work out. Right. So I guess that that lines up then with what I'm saying, the sponsorship scene, as far as what players are valued and what they bring to the table has changed significantly. Um, I'm sure you were very attuned to what was happening in the disc golf world the last four years with money and sponsorships. Did that play into what you knew your value was worth going back to, you said, negotiations with Innova? Did that play into that for you? I think um, it gave you levity to pursue those options. I can say with my years with Innova um, and Valerie Jenkins is going to be in that same boat. We did really push the envelope to trying and be serious. Innova at that point in time was the, the main manufacturer for sponsorship of players. And we were pushing the envelope for always let's, especially women, let's put women on that same page. We are still out there beating the miles in. So I am happy that all of that work has now had that fruition that we see that value in that. So it has been a long road for me and some of the longer um, term players in that um, people are finally being able to be just an athlete. When I was an athlete at the top of my game, I also had to balance doing 20 to 25 plus clinics and clinic doubles to make it happen. Also working with the educational disc golf experience that you know has helped 2 million plus children get involved into disc golf. There are other ways that I had to make that happen. Um, so it's very exciting that uh, women, men, and the sport of disc golf is actually supporting itself. It's it's a great turn. And yes, I have been very privy to all of the, the happenings. I've definitely, if I have not played, I haven't lost touch to what is going on in the disc golf scene. That's great. Um... By the way, Evan is not a background. He is free to ask questions, and I won't cut him oh, off. Smile. He's actually my main screen. I can't even see you, Matt. So. Ooh. <laughs> nice. There you go. You can't see me because the way, yeah, we're sharing our program feed, too. It's probably cutting it off a little bit. But, um, and people don't need to see me. We need to have. <laughs> there you go. Hall of Fame class. We can see all those wards. That's great behind you. Uh, you mentioned just a little bit in passing there. I think you said hip, was it surgery? What, what was the deal there? And, and um, tell us about that and what led to that maybe, if you don't, don't mind. And then how are you feeling now? Sure. Uh, yeah, that is a, that, um, I was a division one softball pitcher. And uh, with that, we had a dome. And so that is a complete overuse of joints. And then 20 years of disc golf. I can't even really pigeon it on three and a half years of college pitching, although I was pretty obsessive on the amount of reps that we would do. Um, but that also translated into the amount of reps that I would do with this golf for 20 plus years too. So, uh, that joint just plumb wore out my right pivot joint where you put all that impact, um, was destroyed. I went into two different doctors and they basically wanted to sign me up for the hip surgery right away. So I feel really fortunate that I destroyed the joint and my doctor, Dr. Mori did a great job and I am feeling I mean, I don't even really know what 100% feels like because I'd had it for so long, but I feel completely strong. Um, it's exciting to be able to 
walk in a, a normal passion and be able to throw a disc. I'm learning to, uh, and I'm not really learning to throw a disc again, but I'm learning to throw with a lot more power. Um, I've always had a great finesse game and that's a really easy to do with timing, but now I'm able to actually grind out and put a little more behind that. Wow. <laughs> like, what is that like? going through like it was it like hip replacement is that like rebuilding it and like what is that like going through that process mentally where you like or or did they assure you like you are going to be able to live fine 100 percent from here on out or was there a question about that at one point uh there's always a question um i've been pretty fortunate with the way i've upkept my body i had my first cavity past 30 um i've never been under the gas. So that was really um, a big step to go forward. But like I said, when I wore it out and I couldn't really walk or function anymore, when I'm doing um, disc golf for the Air Force in Japan and I'm looking at some things like, really, can you even walk to that point in time? Then you know you have to get something done. Um, so the rehab was great for me in the end. It was in 2020. I was able to pretty much lock down like everybody. I didn't really miss anything. And then the Disc Golf Network did a phenomenal job of um, keeping the tour alive. And so I basically rehabbed watching the growth of Disc Golf happen. Um, so what a great inspiration to be able to enjoy what you love, rehabilitate my body, and know that I'm going to be able to contribute again to it with this new surge. And whether that be through my tournament play and wins or continually being out there because of who I am. It's an exciting time for disc golf. I'm really excited. I get this opportunity to come back. Evan, you think uh, FPO players should be scared right about now? There's, there's just so many reasons. <laughs> there's players coming back. There's players coming from overseas. There's pl young players getting better. It is a scary time to be in that field. Okay. So I am going to embarrass myself here a little bit because I'm not familiar. Like, I started playing disc golf and familiarizing myself about, I don't even know now, 13 years ago, maybe 14. So it's been a little while. But when you were playing at your best and you were winning these world championships and getting player of the year and rookie of the year, um, what's the timeline with, like, Juliana Corver? Were you guys battling out there? People saw her this last year. They might be able to make a connection. Was she someone you competed with regularly? No, she actually wasn't. So Juliana, when I got into the sport, would have been in someone that I was looking up to and looking up to beat at that point in time. And then when I started hitting my surge is when Juliana faded from the scene or she elected to pull herself away from the scene. So... Um, no, not in particular, but she was a, a good benchmark, uh, likewise with Elaine King, Vanessa Chambers, some other women. I've always been a sporty woman. My dad helped me shoot free throws when I was young. I would go around and do free throw contests with him. He holds a record for the amount of free throws in games. He's a Hall of Fame basketball official. So pretty much know a lot of sports. I do enjoy um, playing sports more than I probably do stats uh, out there, but um, uh, <laughs> I've, had, I've had a good run at being athletic. Julianne and I um, are both from Iowa. We're both went from to the same school at the University of Northern Iowa. We're both Capricorns in birth in January. We're just a year apart. We have very much a lot of similarities in our game, um, but as of a compact like a competition it'll no we didn't play too much <laughs> okay so 
with uh, JK coming in last year, and she's got rookie of the year. Is there? What are you thinking for yourself coming in this year? Is that a possibility? No, I played actually too many disc golf pro tour events on that one. All right. Okay, so tell us about that. How many uh, pro tour events do you feel like you've played, or maybe you know off the top of your head? You know, I, I really don't. I've always supported the tour with Steve Dodge. Um, I'm actually a four-time non-sanctioned MSGGC champion. So, yeah. you know, I've kind of at uh, disc golf pro scene and Steve Dodge. Um, I've tried to support it as much as I can. So um, I'm not quite sure how many I've won. Or uh, kind of- Evan, Evan Statman yeah. is going to tell you. <laughs> no, I just looked it up real quick. You played eight, you played three in 2016, and you played five in 2017. Fantastic. All right. All right. Too many. Too many. She's out of the. She's not getting. I saw the chat kind of alluding to that. And so we got that cleared up. I do want to give a cool shout out to MSDGC. When you said that, it just brought a smile to my face. That's right when I started like disc golfing was right around the start of that. For those who don't know, because they're like, what is MSDGC? That predates what is now known as MVP Open, but that predated the Vibram Open. Uh, the many other names it's had. It was the first, and it was called the Marshall Street Disc Golf Championship. Uh, what an that excellent is- memory that is, and awesome that you were part of that. This is where I'm from, Leicester, Massachusetts. So it's just really, really cool that you were part of that as well. Yeah, it was a it was a great event back then. I actually went specifically. I still write postcards and letters, and back then uh, that was really the only vehicle to. Um, communicate and so I always had a stack of postcards where we would tour I would mail out postcards to friends family one to myself so I was able to you know kind of know where we were at and uh, I remember being in Iowa getting our mail drop at my parents' house and uh, Steve Dodge and the Marshall Street gang sent us a postcard and I very rarely ever got postcards back but that postcard was the catalyst to get us out there at that point in time and that first MSGTC the very first one disc golf is so amazing like i'm just reminiscing now in the history of what i know and you've you've come even further than that um so let's talk a little bit today's game you did play in 2017 five pro tour events um are so who are the relevant names today so 2018 19 20 21 the last three years who are relevant names today that the scenes shifted quite a bit i feel like not just Paige Pierce anymore, although she's really good. Um, who are some relevant names today that you feel like um, you might be able to compete with? Do you feel like dropping any names, throwing any I'm coming for you kind of things out there? Like, how do you feel like you're going to do this year? I just tell all the women to come to Texas. You know, that's where I'm going to start out with the Disc Golf Pro Tour. Uh, Texas is great with our amount of disc golf tournaments that we have. I'm really proud of our Texas Swing and how we're going to be able to utilize uh, a quite a bit of that uh, Disc Golf Elite Series right here in Texas. Um, so we'll see when we all kick it back. Our local scene's always been really great in Texas. I mean, I've got uh, good competition with Stephanie Vincent, uh, Chrissy Fountain, uh, Christina Lickethingham to play with. So I feel Maria Olivia. So there's a lot of good women that I actually get to like shore up before the whole tour comes to our way. All right. Um, is the, go is ahead, the plan to hit... I was going to say, is the plan to hit uh, Silver Series and maybe smaller events as well, or is it purely going to be kind of Elite Series and Majors? 
Get in the Silver Series in Belton. Um, some of the other ones are a little harder for me to get to. I'm doing basically the whole Disc Golf Pro Tour with the exception of the West Coast Swing. I quite can't make it out there on that West Coast Swing to make those events. But um, the plan is to hit most of the Disc Golf Pro Tour. If I can dot a Silver Series in there, I will do it. Okay, so speaking of the tour, in that sense, like, it's perfect segue here, is the Disc Golf Pro Tour announced this year that they're primarily moving to a player card or a tour card deal, and there's some exemptions out there. Um, were you able to acquire a tour card, or how is that working for you? I did get a tour card. I Because I am up on the Disc Golf Pro Tour and a supporter, I noticed that they were offering some exemptions, and I fell right into that qualifications with my player rating, my hip surgery. Um, so I just applied like anybody else could have applied at that timely manner. I was awarded one and then I went through the procedures to make sure I secured that pro tour card. So yes, I did um, get a tour card and um, what an exciting time for disc golf to be able to even have such a tour card and an amenity. So the amenities they're offering to the tour card players is exceptional. It seems like they're going to offer those amenities also to players who are part of the disc golf pro tours to make sure that the field is on a level playing field. So kudos to the disc golf pro tour for pushing that forward. And, um, you know, they've always had great uh, response for working and ironing out kinks, which I'm sure they're going to have some kinks this year with this. Um, we're seeing it with the pro tour women's field with a lot on the wait list. Um, but what great growing pains to have, right? <laughs> I, I like how you said that. It's a positive spin on it. I appreciate that for sure. Uh, def <laughs> definitely growing pains. Yeah. You, and you did mention the Disc Golf Pro Tour is really, they are good at it. And we've, we've talked about that many times at changing and pivoting to fix uh, what needs to be fixed. So we can only expect that it will get better based off of these situations. Um, how, I'm sure, maybe not. I feel like all disc golfers are competitive, very competitive. So I feel like you must be competitive. You come from a sports background. You must have already placed in your head how you think you might be able to finish at these tour events. You said, well, I could probably do this. Do you have a number in your head where you're like, I would be happy like with this number and I think I could probably achieve this placement. Have you thought through that? Yep. Yeah, I knew you did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we all have high hopes. Um, I'd be a fool if I would say like, you don't want to go out there and win. Everyone wants to win and on any given day, you know, any given Sunday, the right course. Who knows, you know, maybe everyone slays, but top 10 finish right now in any of that women's field will qualify you for the championship, which is obviously the goal for anyone that is in the Disc Golf Pro Tour. So I'm aiming for top 10 in all the events that I have, and hopefully that performance will get me into the championship. Evan, you, you do stats every week. How would finishing top 10 make, like, should make an FPO player feel? Uh, <clears throat> uh, you'll absolutely get into the pro tour championship. You finish 10th at every event. Um, they, they bring in the top 16 and I don't even think you need to finish in the top 15. If you played every event and finished exactly 16th, I think you would still make it. So if you were finishing top 10, uh, you're absolutely going to guarantee your spot. That's gonna be an incredible season. Well, there you go. <laughs> Aim high, get higher. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And how attractive is the tour now compared to even what it used to be, which was attractive, but now things like major payouts, major payouts at events, a single, you know, 
uh, sponsorships, all that, like, how attractive is it to you to where you're like, I want to play enough events to, like, qualify for all these extra, you know, things, whether it's all-star events or, like, all of the extras. Is that attractive to you as a player coming back? Absolutely. It's, it's attractive to me as a Hall of Fame player and someone that had such a, um, I don't know, a history in trying to help the national tour and the women's side in particular to grow. So I think I'm at this really unique opportunity before I get boxed out that I'm able to see where all of that work has went. Um, payouts, uh, I think the biggest thing, and I alluded to it earlier, was the fact that athletes don't really need to do all these side hustles anymore. The money's there that they can actually concentrate and be an athlete. And then that only helps disc golf everywhere. The, the, the kids get excited because these athletes are athletes and they don't have to, you know, be an Uber driver or a side hustle or do tons of clinics. And so this only will continually elevate our game. Um, for me in particular, and what's really exciting, it is just being able to put my face back out there. I'm really secure in my legacy and what I've done for the sport. I was able to walk the final nine and Kat's mom, Kathy, came up to me and, and walked that with me. I know Barry Wayne from Paige Pierce and Doug Bierkus. You know, I've had some really good influences on our current world championships that are out there right now. And that's exciting to me to just put my face back out there with this newer breed and just relish in their, their time too. To, to kind of show how the, the purse has changed on both divisions, but especially FPO is your high, you've had many incredible wins throughout your career. Your highest cash is $2,000 uh, for all the pro tour uh, events last year. The lowest cash for an FPO winner was 2,500 uh, at Waco. Uh, so if you just win one event, that'll be your highest cashing event uh, of your career by a, a good margin. Uh, all day. I did a fun, I wish I had the little notebook that I had when I did, uh, some, uh, feed for Paige Pierce's documentary coming up. But, uh, when she, I, the bonus question that you guys had with my 2007, which was by far my best year, uh, when I won every national tour that I played in at that point, my total winnings didn't even equal Paige's four winnings during one year <laughs> so it was just an incredible stat i mean it wasn't even close i mean she toppled me by maybe seventeen thousand dollars so yeah the the money is totally there um uh and, and so is the competition i mean 45 50 60 women this is super exciting i don't know if we ever would have had that back when you know, I was playing, we really fought hard for the PDJ to stop capping us. They used to cap the women's division at 12 for the world championships, which if you have eight of your top women show up, it's really hard to be those bottom four that want to, you know, come out. So we're by lifting these caps on to all divisions, we're really seeing the increase and separating out the masters and the age divisions with the juniors is really made a leap forward with this golf. Yeah, it. It's so cool to see that all the change you're, you're demonstrating that you are part, part participating in one portion of it and you've never really left. You've had many different hats, if you will. Um, some people may not be aware that you did, uh, you alluded to it, but you did uh, serve with the PDGA as the youth and education coordinator slash director, whatever that part title was called. Um, you did work a lot with edge. Um, you've done a lot of things. I'm going to open up the phone calls, if you don't mind now. Anybody that has a question beyond what we've already asked, if they would like to, they can ask the question. Uh, we still haven't fixed the issue. You won't be able to talk. To, like, uh, how will I put this? 
they call in, they won't hear you, Des, but we can hear them fine. And so they can ask their question and then we can react to it. Um, if anybody does have any questions, go ahead and call now. You can see the number up on the screen. Uh, we'd love to hear some insights from everybody out there in the chat. We see questions come in. Would you just call them in and voice them for us? Um, while we wait for a call to come in, um, so talk about a little bit, what does your long-term future look like in the sport? So you've already had a long-term, I feel like, disc golf career, uh, but what is what are you projecting here? You're, you're coming back in. Do you have any thoughts? Is it just play it as it comes, or do you think, I'll do a year and see, or is it five years or at 10 years? Like where's, where are you putting that right now for your goal? Uh, with my new sponsorship with mint disc, it's really exciting. Like I'm excited to throw disc. I've got some new discs coming out. We've got the goat, which is the power distance driver. It's my very first signature oh, wow. awesome. disc that is coming out. Um, but mint disc is, I mean, this is a company that has put a benchmark in Texas, and Texas has been a benchmark for disc golf for decades. And they have a hot tour series that's coming out, and it's going to have 16 feeder events. They are taking all of these initiatives to continually grow disc golf. I mean, I came down to Texas in 2001 to be a better player. There are many players. We have Greg Barsby yeah. now that's in Texas. We have Patrick Brown that's in Texas. I mean, there's a reason that Texas is a big disc golf scene. And Mint Disc has really put the walk behind it. They empower women to create the hot tour. And um, the, the three gentlemen that have created uh, Mint Disc in 2015, their first disc, the Alpha, came out in 2017. I mean, they're just making fantastic discs, and I am so excited to throw. I haven't had any real problems with the transition where I thought I might have an issue with maybe putters or mid-ranges. The mint lineup is uh, phenomenal. It's solid. It's got three different discs and uh, styles of plastic. You can't beat it. All right. We're definitely going to talk a little bit more about that, but we have a caller lined up. So if you can hear me in the call, go ahead and ask your question for Des, and we'll let you go. Oh, thank you. Um, Long-time listener again, Mr. Ryan Hunt. Uh, I've participated, I think, in five different amateur world championships, and I really loved the payout structure that happened in the middle. Towards the end, it became trophy only. But one of my favorite memories from all of the world championships are the, the field events. Uh, skill shots one of my favorite things in the world. I think they should include them on these pro tours and extracurricular activity. And also, um, what do you think the future of the women's divisions look looks like based on all this uh, structure of the world that we're living in? Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you, uh, Ryan. Thank you for calling. Uh, so that was kind of an interesting question, Des. Take it how you will. Uh, the field games, I love them too. What's your response to the field games? Should they be a part of the tour? And then he just asked generally about the FPO division, it sounded like. So your reaction? Uh, Ryan, I believe his name, the caller was, um, made a really good observation with the skill shot. So the skill shot is actually a 20 base skill set that was created uh, with the educational disc golf experience. And it was originally manufactured not only to be uh, like a field opportunity or a, a progress measurement for teachers. It also could be a training service for pro athletes to get their tour card. Now with the way the game has um, exploded, some of those distances might need to be reevaluated, but uh, he was right on the mark with the disc golf um, 
Skillshot event because it identifies 20 skills from rollers, overhands, backhands, putts, forehands. What does it take to be a pro disc golfer? So that is one of my favorite events to run. I've helped create that. I've set it up for many of amateur and professional disc golfers and the to go with the women's the sky's really the limit right now with the amount of women we have on the wait list and the surge that is coming up and the amount of money and equality that the disc golf pro tour has put into the women's field it likens to almost tennis where we're feeling empowered to play and be heard i i personally have never participated in the skills challenge at worlds but my son has my son plays on the junior team for team Innova, went out to worlds and he got first place there. He did really well at the mini disc golf first place. He did really well. And it looked so fun that I just had this thought when you were saying that the opportunity to join the tour based off of how you would play in the field games could be amazing. Like if I can go out and shred, you know, the, the edge challenge, the skills chat challenge, I can make it on the pro tour. That'd be pretty cool. I think that's really neat. <laughs> well, you might have to be like David Wiggins Jr. One year he won the distance, the putting, and the edge skill shot. Uh, so he swept the field events one year at Pro World. So let's let's kind of maybe keep it at that. <laughs> that is awesome. All right, we're gonna move on here. If you're willing to stick around, uh, Stat Mando uh, Evan here has lined up a game called Stat or Fiction for us. I know you've heard of it because last week you were one of the bonus <laughs> questions. Um, yes, you ready? Love. All right, you ready to stick around and play? All right, here we go. Let's get into it, Ben. Stat or Fiction, presented by Stat Mando. As always, presented by Stat Mando, I'm going to hand it over to Evan. He's going to start us out in Stat or Fiction. Here we go. I don't. I, I hope I lose today. I don't want to beat Des. I just don't want to do it. Here we go. <laughs> All right. Well, Des has a little bit of an advantage, uh, <laughs> at least with these first two questions. So, oh boy. Uh, not to put pressure on Des, though. Uh, but let's start it off with stat or fiction number one. Uh, Des Redding has more top five national tour finishes than total national tour events Paige Pierce has played in. So Des Redding has finished top five in NTs more often than Paige Pierce has played a NT and NT. Oh boy. And you're saying NT specifically, like back when it was just separate NT. Yes, just national tours, uh, not affiliated with another pro tour. Well, all I can say is I'm going to go first because as Nick pointed out last week, if the guest is has that advantage, then I just follow in her, you know, what she picks. But I will also say before the show, I was talking about some of this in some ways with Evan, not this specific question, but I'm putting some numbers together that we had pre-show. And I am going to say stat. I'm going to say stat. All right. This is a stat. Uh, Des, do you have a guess about how many top five finishes you have in national tour events? Well, let's see. I know I have the all-time winning record with the 30 elite wins, so I at least yep. have 30. <laughs> and I want to say I probably never finished outside the top five, but maybe two times. So Ooh. Woo! I, that was I have it. Uh, outside the top 10, I have it at four times. Outside the top five, I have it at uh, 11, actually. But that number is so high that it's still very incredible. It's 70 total top five finishes from 
67. <laughs> wow. From 81 completed events uh, on the national tour. Right. Uh, so that's 70. Paige Pierce played 63 national tours. Even if she finished top five in every every single one, wouldn't have caught you. All wow. right. On to yeah. stat or fiction number two. Um, we heard some wild football news this weekend, inclu- including wild games. Uh, but reports are Tom Brady is retiring. Um, I know you're, you like playing all kinds of sports, Des. I don't know how much of a football fan you are. You are from Texas. Go Saints. Oh, okay. Now, Ben. Uh, <laughs> now, love it. Love it. So, Tom Brady has more wins versus the Buffalo Bills all time than Des Redding has national tour wins. So, you guys know what the second number is, but the question is, Tom Brady has more wins versus the Buffalo Bills specifically. Uh, I have Des an advantage here, don't I? So should I go first? I'll do, go first. Do I have an advantage? I think I probably do, but I'm not going to say I'm amazing with this stat, but I'll let you go first because we have to alternate anyway. So you're up, Des. Okay. Um, I know a bit about the Buffalo Bills because of Hall of Famer and ultimate course designer John Houck is a longtime Buffalo Bills fan. So... I do know a bit about them from being his friend. I'm going to say Brady beats the Bills more times. All right, so stat. Stat. I say the same thing, and I hope I'm right, because that's my chance to get a lead if I'm wrong. So. It, it is wild that you guys are both so confident that a quarterback has beaten one team more than 30 times. Uh, but you guys are correct. It is a stat. <laughs> Tom Brady uh, is slash maybe was 33 and three against the Buffalo Bills. Uh, meanwhile, Desiree has 30 national tour wins, both incredibly impressive. I knew it was going to be close. I knew it was going to be close. I was like, we already have that number of 30 out there. And I was like, Tom Brady played in New England for 20 years and you match up against the Bills more than once a year sometimes or whatever. And I was like, we win most of the time or we did. So I, I just played the odds. I'm glad you said it. I got it right. We're tied up going into the last question. Here we go. All right. Uh, sticking on the Tom Brady facts. Oh boy. Uh, I had to. Um, Tom Brady has more regular season NFL touchdowns than Paul McBeth has rounds rated 1040 or higher so tom brady has more regular season nfl touchdowns than paul mcbeth has rounds rated 1040 or higher okay and a clarifier here is you're talking about a single season touchdown like record or like cumulative his whole career okay total career is higher than paul mcbeth's total career rounds rated 1040 or higher i guess it's my turn and i don't really know here does so i feel like we're probably similar in this one but i'm gonna say that brady does i think that's a stat brady has more touchdowns single season or not single season uh regular season than paul mcbeth has 1040 i'll be interested in hearing this stat so uh we can go to a playoff if you just guess the same as me (laughs) it's true how fun would that be let me think though let's see i know Rick was a rookie in 11. I think Paul was eight or nine. Ratings got a little higher. 10, 11, and four. 
Uh, <laughs> let's go playoff. Yeah, she's just forcing a playoff, but maybe we're right. All right. Maybe we're right. Meanwhile, I'm here trying to figure out a playoff question real quick. <laughs> um, but I'll finish up with that one. That one is also a stat. Oh, so you guys go. both go three and oh. Uh, Tom Brady's car- uh, career regular season touchdowns uh, is 624. Paul Macbeth has 610 1040 rated wow. rounds or higher. Uh, I, again, I, I'm going to let you so think incredible. of a playoff question. I'm going to react to that real quick. I am and um, does you can react to this as well. I am really. You were starting to do the math out loud, does. I was really <laughs> surprised to hear that Paul had that many rounds rate over 1040. D- did that start like at the beginning of Paul's career? Is that what you were doing? You're kind of doing the numbers in your head. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I, I'm familiar enough with the player ratings and when they started to get higher, when things were separating. So I just, yeah, tried to do the math quick, but I, I do know Brady wow. just shred. Six, 610 uh, rounds over 1,040? I don't play that much disc golf, but in my 13 years, I don't think I've played, well, I definitely haven't played that many tournament rounds. Not even close. So. Good job for Paul. <laughs> but I bet you have. <laughs> How, no. And okay, let's let's do that math real quick because he's looking up a question here. Is if I played for 14 years and uh, things have tapered off for me a little bit with the kids and work and all that, but let's see, 14 years, and let me just throw out an average number of tournaments. I don't know, six, seven, or eight. I mean, that's that's only 112 tournament round. Well, that's 112 tournaments multiple round tournaments. I, maybe I'm up in two or 300, but, but still not even close to like the 1,040. <laughs> he could look it up and say, oh, Matt, you've only had like three rounds over a 1,000. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone can look that up. Uh, it, you can That's find right. it easily on pdg.com. Uh, not to make me not sound very smart, but anyone can be very smart with their, <laughs> uh, their stuff. All right. Uh, I had a few different ideas. I, I hope this is a good one. Um, but let's go national tour, uh, podiums of all time. I'm going to say, I'm going to say who has the most. And then Des, you're in second. Uh, Valerie Jenkins has the most with 77 total podiums. You're in second with 58. The bonus question is, uh, who has the third most podiums all time from national tour events? This is MPO or FPO. Wow. Do you know this off the top of your head, Des? You're going to think oh. about this. Uh, it's a good one. That's a good one. The women. Climo is a playing this much in the national tour. You it's literally said Climo, and my head was saying Climo at the same time you said the word, but then you said maybe not. So I'm going to go off of that one. <laughs> Get out of my head, Graham. <laughs> um I'm going to say Dave Felburn. He, he's kind of, he's the, he's the sneak attack. He's won so, he's won all the majors. He was a great, I know Felberg and I won maybe six or seven Brent Hambricks. Like we were basically undefeated at that point in time. We shared that cut for quite a while. I'm going Dave Felberg, David Felberg. I'll let Matt answer before I. There yeah, are please. so, there are so many names out there. Um, but not that many that like have done this. Obviously, there's only a couple. Felberg is a great guess. 
I'm not going to guess Fellberg because I feel like that would just be cheap. And, and maybe and maybe not correct. So, but can I make something better? I, I'm just gonna say, but you're right. The NT wasn't really there as much for Climo. So, I'm struggling here. Um, and MPO. I feel like man, that's such a good guess, Felberg. I'm not gonna take any hints. I've Paul Macbeth. Just saying it. I don't think it's right, but I'm just putting it out. All right. Neither are correct. Do we want to do Who's another closest? round? Oh, that, or do that. we want to do who which of those players you guys named had the most? Yes, that's what I would rather do. I feel okay. like that would be a good one. Okay. So it's Dave Felberg. <laughs> Dave Felberg had more. It was close. Dave Felberg has 47 total podiums from NTs. Paul Macbeth has 42. Oh, okay. Uh Katrina Allen was third. It's 50. <laughs> I did think about her. And Paige Pierce right behind her with 48. Shoot. Sorry, Kat. Wait. I knew you were really early on, so way to smash that out in your small amount of time with those national tours. So you're saying Paige is right behind her all-time MPO or FPO, so she's fourth? Paige Pierce is fourth podiums and national tour events all okay, time. Okay, so just for Felberg's fun, fifth. where does Felberg rank? Oh, well, I just said he's fifth. Oh, yeah. you said he's fifth. And then Paul was... Yeah, he has 47 total. And then Paul McBeth, six. So you guys were close. Oh, you okay. Had, you got five and six. Okay. You're just going for the third most. All right. Well, good job, Des Redding. You won on Satter Fiction. I told you I didn't want to beat you, but I tried. But I tried. <laughs> Congratulations. All right. Um, let's go and really open it up to you. Is there something we missed? You talked a little bit about your sponsorships. We talked about a whole slew of things. We always like to give the floor for things. This is a platform. If you want to say anything um, that we didn't touch on, we'd be glad to have you and continue the conversation. Sure. I mean, I'll just wrap it up with just thanks for the opportunity to put my story out there, um, my new opportunities with Mint Discs. I mean, I really am so excited to be able to throw and showcase these because if you are looking for a company that supports disc golf supports their own scene and makes fantastic discs to get behind i mean mint disc is what you really want to do um i gotta say like these jackalopes and these goats are coming out on two january oh, hold on i'm not very good at this move there we go <laughs> february 8th Ooh, weird there we go maybe but February 8th, the GOAT drops, and it's Mint's first, very first power distance driver it, for a power thrower. You're going to be able to put it on a move. It's going to finish for you. For a medium thrower, it's going to be a great headwind disc and also a forehand slayer. So it's exciting to be a part of the disc golf scene in a new format um, and bringing a legacy forward. And thanks, guys. I've enjoyed the Nick and Matt show and the Ian on the side tracker. Um, Evan, sorry. It's okay. <laughs> uh, caught my brain on that one. Um, it's really exciting to be part of this disc golf scene that's coming out here and how we're really all promoting disc golf and its best at attributes. Well, you can be assured we will continue to talk about you, not behind your back. We're going to do it on the Nick and Matt show throughout the year. I'm sure your name's going to pop up. So we're going to keep doing it. If, if any significant storyline pops up with you and you want to be on the show, or we think so, we'll reach out. You reach out if you have something you'd like to share. We'd love to have you on again. I think people are going to be excited to hear your story. Like you said, we're glad you shared it tonight. Uh, I think you've made some new fans in the chat here. They're enjoying it. And like I said, we'll talk about you. We look forward to it. Thanks for coming on the show, Des. I appreciate it. I'll give you something to talk about. So see you guys out there. <laughs>
Wonderful. See ya. Thanks, Des. Peace out. All right. Peace. Everybody, Des Redding, a four-time world champion and doing very well for herself, uh, coming back, hip replacement surgery. Like, that really, I don't want to say shocker. I know people do it, but, like, can you even imagine that? Like, I've got a, a rebuilt hip, and here we go. That that's just tremendous. I things like things like backs and hips and just like it's hard to picture just not having those uh, and then having need to replace them. That's just uh, I, I guess I'm just too young to think of it that way. <laughs> uh, I've known some people that are young in their 30s and they've had the hip replacement surgery. It's like incredible when you have to have it done. It's just a mind blowing thing that like the the medical world we're in can do this. And she's like, I feel better than ever. Like, I don't remember what a hundred percent was because I was feeling so bad for so long, but here I am feeling so good and ready to go. Uh, I like how she said at the end, she'll give us something to talk about. Um, that's exciting to hear. Um, wow. There's a lot to unpack there, but generally speaking, uh, great energy, um, positive attitude, great history and legacy she's already had does she have anything to lose evan in coming back this way uh with this time off does she have anything to lose oh absolutely not uh like if if she happened to to finish outside the top 25 let's say at every single event she played like i, I don't think that's going to happen let me be clear with that but if that did happen like it it's still incredible to see her and others coming back into uh, the the top tier of professional disc golf. I, I don't think there's anything to say uh, uh, to make it seem bad for her about doing that. She's coming back and she has a sponsor uh, sharing the good old days, you could say as well. I, I just think it's great all around. And I think, I think she's going to have some top 10 finishes. Juliana surprised us last year. Um, she's just one year uh one year younger i believe she said uh but i i just i'm so excited for uh des to come back for juliana to tour a second year for the europeans to come over for younger uh up-and-coming pros to play i 2022 is gonna be a really exciting year uh i just i don't know i'm pumped for it i don't know about you <laughs> totally pumped for it that's kind of, I'm like stuttering here because there's so much to unpack and it's really that exciting for me that where the sport has exponentially come from over the last two years is so far that I don't even know, like the sky is the limit for 2022. Like you're only building on the hype and the energy and the sponsorship value that's being put out there. You're only building on it You've created more fans, which in turn is going to help support that hype. Uh, and it's going to continue, I believe, to to roll. What do they say? Like, uh, I don't know, a Rolling Stone cat. A sorry. rising tide lifts all boats. There's maybe? that one. Then there's like a Rolling Stone or, like gathers no moss or something. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I've got, it I've, sounds right, I think. <laughs> I think there was like a Mythbusters on that one. All right. Tra <laughs> transitioning out of that fantastic interview with Des. I'm so glad that we were able to get in touch with them. And I'm looking forward to Jackie Chen next week. That's going to be fantastic as well. Looking forward. Um, Evan, I know you do stats for pro, but there are some in the chat who are asking how many tournament rounds, rounds I accomplished. Is there a way to look that up for me as a non-pro player? 
Um, I'm not yeah, currently so I mean, current, number one. And number two, I can see how many tournament events I've played, but I can't oh, see how many rounds. I see what you're pl- saying. So because your page is expired, yeah, which you need to renew. <laughs> but you can um, hack the back door. Is that true? <laughs> uh no, I, okay. they won't. They won't let you access more. Uh, but if you're if you're an active player, you can go uh, to ratings detail, yeah, and that'll list all your rounds. It'll it'll say if it's evaluated. Uh, let me get out my evaluated or included. Um, <laughs> what is and then you? you can count all of those up. For some players, you can do some tricks around it, right. um, or you can uh, do some other cool things. Well, I don't think I think my career event was was it forty eight or sixty eight. It's not that many. Even if they were two round events, which most of them would be at least two round events. Hold on. Are you, I got to retype it. I think I, I don't remember what it is now, 48 or 68. But if you do the 68, let's say it's 70 times 240. Even if you did two round, I'm going to say I have no more than 200 rounds ever. And that's just, I play a lot of rounds, but not rated tournaments, I guess. So, and I got to renew my PDGA if I'm planning to play events this year. All right. Um, You're still clicking around over there. Uh, I was going to try to find some things out, but What's it's up? not immediately. I got to probably do a few more things. Okay. So let's move into less boring conversation real quick here is, have you heard about the airborne disc line? Yeah. Kayla Visca's new disc. That's right. Kayla Visca's new. I, I guess discs will be a thing, but he announced the release of the Falcor. Uh, Falcor, and he said it's disc one of four in this current plan um, that Prodigy will be manufacturing for Airborne, him, them. And I mm-hmm. see that being as like a DGA kind of deal with Discraft, right? It's like, or it, what used to be Discmania with Innova or Infinite with Innova. It's the idea of these big, large disc producing manufacturers molding discs for another brand and that's what airborne's doing so it's not going to be prodigy with like a tour series disc it's actually kale lavisca's own line of discs now interesting it, it kind of interesting that prodigy didn't come out and i don't know what do you think about it i, I don't want to make up news here like what do you think is this this is good and this was probably on kale's own initiative yeah i mean he's <laughs> It, everyone's kind of doing it differently. You see, like you could say Paul Macbeth with his line, like those are very much discraft discs, but tied to his name. Uh, but they're in the whole discraft lineup. This seems like it's a little bit more like it's Kale's line of discs, um, but very clearly made by Prodigy and in the Prodigy line. I'm sure if Kevin Jones likes that disc, he'll be throwing it as well. Um, but it, it seems a lot of players are leaning towards this where they want to choose the molds and choose what the disc does um, and have it be tied to them. Uh, and it's kind of the next step up. We've seen uh tour series disc for a while where you're just picking a disc that everyone had or, you know, the destroyer where it's whatever world champion Innova is going to put on there. Uh, but now it's actually something you have to complain, uh, not complain, um, uh, claim, excuse me, uh, as your own personal disc. And, I think my guess would be with Kale's situation is let's say somewhere down the line, he leaves prodigy, not saying it's going to happen. Uh, but if it was, he might be able to bring these discs and these molds to a different brand. It just gives them some options with that. 
Um, and maybe he grows airborne similar to how Ledgestone's being grown by Nate Heinold. <laughs> I did not prep you on any of that conversation and you just nailed it. Uh, that's why we have Evan on the show. I think that's fantastic insight on that. I'm not going to elaborate much more. You gave a lot of great thoughts to consider. We're going to consider them uh, going forward. Uh, always comment, share your thoughts on this to those listening or viewing. And that's, that's good insight. Would he take them with him? Could he eventually be like, hey, I'm not Prodigy sponsored anymore, but I have my own line of discs and that's cool, right? He could do his own thing. So very cool. And moving off of Kale, Kale's just a fantastic person and player, just tremendous. We have to have him on the show. He has not ghosted us ever, but every single time we've tried to have him on the show, he had pre prior a prior plan. So we'll make it happen. We'll make it happen. Um, all right. Now for a topic that Evan is going to probably inspire all of us with, because I'm sure he's thought about this a lot with his line of work here in the disc golf world of stats. Um, but it came to my mind and my thoughts as the tour continues to evolve, so will or so should the stat tracking. Real-time stats, being able to do what Evan does in starting to build and what they're doing at Statmando is fantastic for the sport. Now, they didn't pay me to come on here and say this. This is just my belief. Uh, when you watch something like the NFL playoffs or for whatever the sport is that you watch, and they're able to real-time say, this is the first time ever that XYZ has happened when XYZ also has happened in this situation when it's 20 degrees. Like, those kinds of things make for a more engaging live production, number one, and then two, interest in the sport. So I'm going to pass this over uh, to Evan because, again, I'm sure you've thought about this a fair amount with your team over there, and feel free to elaborate on that as well, what the happenings are in the off-season with Statmando because you're prepping and you're ramping up. Share with us anything that you feel like you can about that, or maybe there's some things that are still not able to be shared, but there's a lot going on. 2022. What's the evolution of stats going to be like? What are we going to see maybe in 2002 that we haven't seen yet? And then we'll carry the question further in a minute. But let's talk about 2022. Well, one big thing that you said is when, you know, the broadcast comes on and you're like the, the Bengals versus the Chiefs, for instance, the, the Bengals came back from 21 to three. Um, and, you know, the stack guys with, you know, pro football was told us this was the only second time it happened in the AFC championship game. Uh, we won't name what team blew a, a 21 to three lead last time it happened. Um, but it did happen before and they were able to quickly figure that out. And that's, that's one of the things we've been really pushing for. Um, and I, I think one of the notable ones we had last year was when the preserve had that crazy, crazy finish. Um, and there was Ricky, there was Paul, there was Eagle. They were all fighting for the, for the win. And we had all the different scenarios. Like when, when Ricky is leading or tied, he is, I think was like six out of 10 uh, times he comes away with the win. But when Paul was down by two strokes going into the final round, he was actually really good. I, I, I don't think he was hundred percent. I forget what the numbers were exactly. You can go back and watch that broadcast to figure out what was said. Um, but it, it was really cool to say all these scenarios and have historical reasonings for it. And that's something we, we really want to, uh, to grow, to grow from and just make, uh, more of those and easier for us to do and, and all these different scenarios. And it's kind of one of those things where you kind of got to 
get all these fresh ideas and put them together and then just be, you know, motivated to do them. So uh, we've come up with a lot of cool things this off season. And I, I really like these broadcast uh, kind of first time since this has happened or this situation, they do this. And stories are so important in disc golf. When that moment happened, let's say with the Bengals beating the chiefs, the way that it happened or the come from behind win you can assume that that's a pretty good win, but when they are able to provide the stat to cement that as a moment in time that has never happened before, well, now all the viewers together collectively during this live event, which <laughs> we'll do this topic so many times, live events versus post-produced. We'll do that eventually again this year. But when collectively during a live moment, sports moment like that, are able to share something that makes you feel more tied together, more big, more special and that's just that that rolling effect i talked about the sport just evolving and growing in the passion we're going to actually open up the phone lines whether or not somebody calls in that's up to you guys but i want to open it up because i think there's questions that people might have about um whether or not like things that they would like to see and they've thought about and they're like hey wouldn't it be cool if we had this and i'm going to let Evan react to that and say, yeah, we've thought about that, or that's really not feasible right now, or whatever it is. Uh, share, share with us your thoughts on what you would like to see in stats, um, or just share with us your thoughts for why stats are or aren't important. We'll keep it open. Again, someone calls in, great. No one calls in, that's fine as well. Um, so Evan, 2022, are there any projects that are going to be rolled out that you can announce and tell us, or any collaborations? And I have a follow-up after that. Um, well, we've talked about our ranking system a lot. We, we, we had a, almost a whole episode about it last fall. So that's, uh, on the soon horizon. We're working on a lot of behind the scenes things that I'm not going to say yet. Um, but we'll <laughs> share hopefully soon. Uh, but I'll, I'll keep those, uh, just under wraps for a little bit longer. Okay. That's fair. Um, and someone just asked in the chat, you might've seen it is are who are stat Mando's competitors? If there are any, are there others out there doing this? And would you consider them competitors? Do you feel like you're trying to get a corner on the market? Uh, how do you view that? Um, uh, I, I, yeah, yeah. So let us know. How do you view that? I mean, I'm sure people can assume we have competitors. I, I don't consider anyone our, our competitor and not, not in like a, like a proudful way, just in a, like, like you were saying earlier, a rising tide lifts all boats. Like uh, if, some people are doing stats this way. We're going to work off that or do stats a different way. I mean, we, we love stats. We want to see everyone do it. So, um, any, any companies are just fans on, on social media, just doing stats. We love all that. And, uh, like it's more of a want to work together and not work against. Okay. Awesome. Uh, I, I agree. And I think there will be a time and place though, where there will be competitors who you guys are going to be like, Hey, if we don't get this, they're going to get it. And then we're kind of done. So, it will happen, but let's get our first caller in here. Uh, if you can hear me on, on the phone, you're on, and uh, go ahead and give us your question. What's up, guys? This is uh, Travis. I'm calling from Ohio. Um, first, I wanted to say uh, shout-out to my buddy Corey Ellis. He just signed a deal today. I missed a show earlier, so I don't know if you guys were uh, already talked about anything like that or not. I did um, not talk about Corey Ellis yet, although I did see the news, and he's going to be so, – I'm going to let you get to your question, but he's going to be a part of our conversation in some way at the next segment. So if you stick around, you'll hear that conversation. What's your question tonight or your thought? Um, let's see. Stat Mando, he's not on there yet, just so you know. 
uh, Stat Mando's not on where? Uh, I'm saying Corey's not on Stat Mando's oh. side. I tried to compare him, but that wasn't. Uh, wasn't <laughs> okay. That'd be a good addition. Thanks for letting us know. Um, I don't know. Let's see. I don't really have a question, boys. I just wanted to give a shout-out to the homie, really. There you go. Um, awesome. Well, thanks for calling in. Uh, you couldn't hear Evan, but he says he's going to work on getting it in there. So thanks for thanks for calling in the show. There you go. All right, boys. I've been listening for a while. I appreciate what you guys do. Totally appreciate the support. All right, Evan. So what does it take for a player to make it into Stat Mando's uh, lineup there? Because, I mean, that's a fair question. Like, how? where does it stop? Do you do the top every player, or what does that look like? Uh, it's we had, we, we did the top, you know, 10 or so players to start. And then we grew it to, you know, like anyone who won worlds or came in second at worlds or USDGC in the last 10, 20 years. And then we grew from there. Um, if, if people want to ask for them, feel free to, you know, shoot us a message and just be like, Hey, you know, can you add this person? Um, and you know, if it's, if it's someone who actually should be on there that we missed, then yeah, we'll add them. But we're also trying to work on things to make it a little bit easier on our side. Um, so that way we can add players more easily. Um, but it's, it's also right now we are focusing on kind of the touring players. So Matt, if you came to us and you're like, Hey, like I'm a really good MA1 player who sometimes plays MPO. Can you add me? We, we probably would pass. No offense. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say, like, what does it take uh, before we bring in our next caller? Um, someone like a Corey Ellis, though, like and just in all seriousness, like someone like Corey Ellis is and someone says, hey, can we get them in there? Is that someone that you're like, yeah, it makes sense. Let's do it. Yeah, Cor I think Corey Ellis should be in there. Um, uh, you know, Hans has been doing a lot of behind the scenes work to make it a lot easier for us. And we're going to do more uh, behind the scenes work to make it even more easy Uh so, uh, yeah, Coriel should, should be in there. I'd say maybe I'll add him after the show. <laughs> Perfect. Well, we have another caller lined up. Let's see uh, what shakes out with this one. Welcome to the Nick and Matt show. What's your question for us? Hey guys, my name is Chase. I'm from Iowa. I'm curious about your, uh, thoughts and opinions about the all-star coming up, uh, format. Who's the all there. Thanks guys. All right. Thank you for the call. Um, if you listen to last week's show, you can go back and check that out. We actually talked not in great detail, but about all the, the aspects of it. And so we'll keep this really short here. Uh, I love to see the addition of the field games. Um, Evan, break that down a little bit again. How do the field games go into the overall point scope here? Are they actually teamed up or is it standalone? Uh, well, well, first off, there's captains and you, you fantasy draft your team. Uh, and then the captain chooses who competes in what event. There's three events, six players per team, uh, per division. Uh, so two will do each competition. So two will do putting, two will do distance with accuracy, uh, as in it's not just throw as far as possible, maybe throw 600 feet towards this target. Uh, and then two will do a shot shaping competition, which I think is probably the most up in the air. We don't know what it's going to be like, but does sound cool. Uh, and then each one of those events, a team will score a point. So if team A wins putting and distance, but team B wins uh, shot shaping, then it'll be two to one in favor of team A. Uh, and then it'll go into other competitions. I think there's doubles and a singles like stroke play event. So all that will have points. Okay. Yeah, I, I personally, I don't know. I'll see how the points end up shaking out and how invested I can get. Usually when points are put into play, 
you want to be invested like I hope so and so wins and a storyline's built. So we'll see how that all comes together, but the just the aspect of field games excites me to see these top players who are picked to do each field game going quote unquote against each other. That just that excites me and I would like to see that hopefully flourish and whether it starts this year and gets better every year or it is what it is and it's just amazing right out of the gate. All right, we've got our next and, caller. Yeah, what's up, Evan? Go ahead. No, no. Well, I was going to say, I'm so excited for the, the fantasy draft with the captains. I think that might be the coolest part. We saw how uh, popular the pe- press conference was from the match play event. Um, I mean, Missy and Kona, I believe it was, with the the awesome press conference. Uh, I, I think it'll be that and even better. Right. Okay. We have uh, lined up in our call room here, uh, Our probably our final call for tonight. So welcome to the show. You're on the air with Nick and Matt. um yeah go ahead yes this is denver from ohio um as as the sport grows um we were just talking about sports gambling and betting and fantasy and how stats would feed into that like it does some of the bigger sports like football and baseball and stuff awesome so yeah thank you for that call we're gonna let you go and we're gonna react to that evan this is going to be a major conversation. I don't want to let the cat out of the bag per se, but Johnny V over at Smashbox uh, has been running something called Skip A's Disc Golf, which is fantasy-based um, disc golf. And we know that fantasy football is massive. Fantasy football is, is it bigger than the sport of the football? Like it's, it's huge, right? Um, disc golf has been dabbled with, ooh, say that three times fast. Uh, in, I don't want to say fantasy, but sports betting. Like, I've seen it on some sports betting sites. How are stats and the collaboration of, like, fantasy disc golf going to come together to where you people are going to be very invested in the stats that you guys can provide? Yeah, I mean, I... I'm I'm a huge fantasy football fan. So uh, anyone else who plays fantasy football and kind of goes overboard like I do will understand is you don't want to just watch the games, know what they got that week, and then pick teams. You want to see all the other stuff about it. You want to see uh, how they do last year compared to this year, how they do at different events compared to uh, some events, you know, open versus wooded, for instance, and disc golf. You want to know all of that. So, um, yeah, we're, we're excited to be, you know, kind of a platform. So if fantasy companies do um, want to get some stats, maybe that's something we can work out with them. I think also just fantasy sites as a whole, I'm super excited for. I know Johnny V has made some really uh, exciting um, uh, additions to Skip Ace uh, and stay tuned for that. Um I'm actually going to be doing some stuff with Johnny V for that, uh, just on a personal note, not not data-driven stuff. Um, but then there's also some other really cool fantasy stuff in the works from a lot of different people. It's it's a very exciting time, uh, and there's no best way to do fantasy. There's no best site to do fantasy. Uh, the more the merrier, and I think that's awesome. Yeah, so talking about how invested people get in fantasy sports, and you mentioned how much you love fantasy football, and I've done that. I did that for years as well. Um, I used to find myself listening to a podcast or at least, yeah, a 10-minute segment of a show where it talks about the who's the sleeper pick I should pick this week and, and who's, you know, really under the radar here or who's who has not performed well at, let's say, Maple Hill uh, at this portion of a tournament swing and things like that to where you can have 
um, that opportunity to decide what are my best options in fantasy. Well, the bigger fantasy football gets, I mean, disc golf, sorry, you're going to be able to look at that. And whether it's Skip Ace or somebody else, they're going to be able to say, like, 98% of people pick this person, like, to win or to perform well, or we can see historically. Like, it's going to be something big. So I think you're going to be a part of that, as, whether or not Statmando directly, but people are going to be looking to your stats to try to help them choose these things. I'll be a fan of it either way, but, yeah, I, I think we can provide some really cool stats as well. Okay, so moving on from that topic, is there any, I say moving on, it's a little bit still tied to it. Like, yeah, let's just move on. <laughs> I was going to say, let's just talk about like things that could still come down the road 10 years, 20 years, but that's pretty much what we did. So let's go into um, this topic here. It's going to be on relation in relation to players, which I'm really excited about here because we haven't been doing this very much, but the season starting to ramp up. I'd love to hear Nick Carl's input on this, but he's flying. I actually texted him and said, Hey, do you want to come in? What we'll is phone call you in? He's like, I'm running to like my next plane. <laughs> so he's like, I'm not really down to do that. So we'll get him on. We'll talk more about this later, but who's going to have a breakout year. Now I have to define that breakout year to me. And I'll let you define your own too, Evan. Breakout year to me is like, Somebody you don't know about, number one. But I would say, uh, like, fully know about. That could be one description. The other is, for me, it's like top 50 in whatever ranking system you choose. Top 50 during that season, placing a handful of times in the top 10 and maybe even one or two in a podium position. I don't think you have to have a win to be considered a breakout year my personal take on it but it, for me i'm going to say a top 50 player who has a handful let's just say six seven eight top 10 finishes which is significant um and one or two podiums maybe a win that would to me would like solidify the deal but so that's how i would define breakout do you have any other perspective on how we might modify that for a breakout player no i think that's pretty good uh we're not trying to break out the next you know paul mcbeth ricky waisaki um that's yeah I, and we're not trying to say you know they're going to go from 100th to you know 75th so i think you're right on the nose okay so with that in mind um i don't really want to read through like the top 50 like here's the names think who we want but i kind of want people to know who's in the top 50 um so names that kind of stand out to me would be like Raven Newsom, okay? Um, Terry Roethlisberger, Casey White, Austin Hannum. I don't know. Austin Hannum's been around a while. He could still have a breakout year. Alden Harris, Emerson Keith. Could we? That's interesting, right? Could you call Emerson Keith a breakout year if he starts doing that? Or has he already had his breakout year? Emerson Keith. See, that's tough. I, I would say no. Um, but you saw, you've seen him up there like worlds in 2019. I mean, that was already almost three years ago, but yeah. I, I still think he could, he, he hasn't, he doesn't have that elite series win. I don't know how many podiums he has in elite series events all time. I could look, but I don't think it's very high. So I think you would still qualify for your criteria. Right. And so that's the interesting question. Cause like someone like a Paul Uliberry is in the top 50, but I would never say he has a breakout year at this point in his career, unless could we say breakout year? 
there's like two definitions. One is like the like initial, like not the same as like rookie of the year, but like you're newer. You haven't ever performed at that level before. Um, but like someone like Paul Uliberry, if he came out and he started placing like top six, <laughs> top 10, and like finishing in the top five, like pretty regular, I would be like, he's having the year of his life. I don't know if I'd say breakout year. So there's a difference. Yeah, I see where you're going. Um, but so anyways, I'm going to ca- kind of list some names that I feel like might be breakout. Because again, I could say Greg Barsby, but he's won world. So that would be weird. Like that's not a breakout year. Uh, so he could have a better year, but not a breakout. So I'm going to pick names that I think might have breakout years. Ezra Aderhold could be in that conversation. Uh, Anthony Barella. Let's see here. Gannon Burr. See, has Gannon Burr had his breakout year already? To go back for Anthony Barella, I think he's a perfect candidate for that because he has been talked about as he's ready to take the next step. He's ready to take the next step. He's a young guy who can throw far and just hasn't like he's been impressive, but hasn't just been whoa. Um, but I will say I'm pretty sure he challenged Paul Macbeth that he would beat him in more elite series events than Paul beats him, something like that. And I think Paul put a car on the line. Um I don't know the exact bet. I don't want like wow. I this was like a week ago or so that I just saw it and didn't really think anything more of it. But Anthony Brella, he's confident. He he won Shelly Sharp, uh, but he does well in those Arizona events early in the season. But maybe it's kind of like I would say Adam Hammis had a breakout year last year. Yes. So if Anthony Brella can do that, then I would say he has a breakout year. So that's a great point. People who have done it recently. So like as part of that conversation. Would you say something like a Cole Radalin this last year? Was this just like a a tip, uh, dip your toe in the water year for him, 2021? Or was it a breakout year? I don't think I'd go as far as saying breakout year. I would say like you told us you're here on tour, but like I wouldn't call it your breakout year. He broke out of Oregon, and that's what some people might think is he's he grew out of his local tour. He's ready for the national tour, and and for that, it was a breakout year. But for our criteria that we're trying to say, I would say no, he didn't have a breakout year yet. Yeah, but I think I, he's a perfect candidate. Ex- okay, so great. So I also feel like the breakout player could potentially, if you start getting into top twenty in a ranking system, I would say you've already kind of arrived personally. So I feel mm-hmm. like it's maybe in that fifty might be too. Um, shallow of a field maybe i need to go further say top 72 but either way you go up to about 20 i feel like out of that list and we'll talk about fpo2 man i i want to give like the nod to like anthony barella but one i don't know how much he's going to tour around i got to find that out and two is that mature experience there yet is it there because i feel like that's needed i feel like he's such a high ceiling player or could be like him playing at his highest potential, like with a good mature experience, like I put him way up there. I'm talking like, if I say the name Eagle, will people shoot me? Like that's like, I feel like really I put him way up there. So like I would say Anthony Barella if he has a good year. Uh, I will say Ben Calloway. He had a couple good good showings. I think Des Moines Challenge. Uh, he was up lead card a lot. Probably I think he finished top five, maybe top three. Um, I, I think he improved a lot last year. I could see him taking the next step. I think getting a win would be tough, but I think one or two podiums is definitely possible. 
Yeah, I'm just I'm scrolling through the list one more time, and I feel like the only other name, it's hard. Like, that's a good pick. Corey Ellis could, could. I actually feel like he really could. Uh, that was a call that came in for him to support his buddy, but Corey Ellis has been someone I've watched through the latter half of last year and was really impressed. We actually reached out to Nick and Matt show to interview him, and he was either in the middle of traveling, a flight, or he was just not available at that time and was like, but I really want to come on, so, like, let's make it happen. It never happened, but hopefully this year we can have it happen. So I guess those would be my picks if I had to choose. Anthony Barella or Corey Ellis. So what were yours again? I was going to go, um, oh, my goodness. I said Ben Calloway. Yep. Well, let's talk about this for a second, but I think it's totally possible that some of the Europeans coming over could be breakout years. Like maybe Not like a Vino Makala who's been over a lot, but like I think Nicolas Antilla and Lori Lettinen um, could absolutely surprise people as well. So if that's allowed, I might go Lori Lettinen. He, he has made a lot of uh, – uh, done very well over in Europe, and I'm pretty sure he plans on being over here. Uh, if not, uh, I I'm not going to get that one. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great that's a great pick though. And then um, over to FPO, the field is not quite as deep, meaning in the ranking system even they only go to 60. Um, but if I was to pick anybody in the top 60, shout out Hannah Macbeth. No, <laughs> she has her breakout year. That would be spectacular. Obviously, we wish the best for her. But she's well, she, she's even said she's focusing more on media stuff. But I, I think one of the easiest ones to guess is Ella Hansen. Mm. Um, I mean, she's sitting at 20, 21st in uh, Udis's world rankings. Um, I think that's almost too easy to she say. Had a breakout, she had a breakout year last you year. You could say she already had a breakout year, but she's sitting all the way down at 21. Yeah. Although that's probably because she didn't play a whole lot of events. Um, she did have a breakout year. I don't think she was – it wasn't like she was consistently always – uh, very, very good. You know, she has some just, you know, mediocre, good first year on tour finishes. Yeah, as you mentioned, that might be too easy. Although I feel like, I'm looking at the list here, I feel like we could dabble into the top 20 for breakout year. Someone like an Alexis Mandahano in 16th, like, I don't think she's had a breakout year. I think she's demonstrated she can play disc golf, but breakout? Ah, uh, no. Um, well, yeah, go ahead. I'll go ahead and say uh, I'm, I'm going to say a few names, uh, not in any order, but just how I'm reading them. But Stacy Ronsley, Cynthia Ricciotti and uh, Lydia Alliance, who are sitting at 40th, 41st and 45th. Ooh. I think they all had good showings at uh, different maybe silver events. Maybe they were elite. I forget exactly, but they all had good showings last year um, and they all, I think, play a good amount of events. So I could see uh, some really good finishes from those people. I choose Haley King. No. <laughs> breakout year. She has not had her breakout year yet. I'm totally right in what I'm picking. Um, but like, yeah, breakout year is tough because Paige Shu, she won world. She's in 31st ranking right now. She had a life change, of course, to so like that significantly plays into this. But I wouldn't say if she starts playing top 10 or top five, it's a breakout year. I've already feel like she's had that. Um, while it was short lived, it happened. Um, and you can't pick someone like Ellen Widboom. She's already had her breakout year, but she could demonstrate more consistency, but that's not what we're talking about. Um, this is interesting. You ready for this one? Madison Walker. She has been around the game for quite a while. In the FPO division, she's had great finishes, but I feel like the sport in the FPO side kind of progressed without her. That's, and I don't mean like, 
<laughs> quality wise. I feel like she's a great person. I'm talking disc golf wise. Like she played her consistent game always. And then the FPO talent kept rising and she did not stay with it to where you didn't see her finishing in top fives or top sometimes tens or whatever. I know there's injuries. I know we're talking about a lot of things over the last couple of years with her kind of taking a little step back, some commentary stuff, but she just announced MVP as a sponsor, which is a manufacturer of discs. Sounds like she's back in, like she's ready to really give it a go. She's excited, motivated. That's my pick. I, I don't know. I just thought of it. It came to me. I'm like, there we go. Madison Walker. I, I think that's a good one. I think, you know, experience does mean a lot. Um, and she's been around the game for a while. Um, you, you saw world's Lisa fake is finishing third and, and did an incredible job and almost snuck away with it. Uh, and she's been good for a long time. I, I would say she, I wouldn't say she's qualifying for a breakout year, but I could see Madison Walker having something similar where some, you know, world's uh, U S women's uh, throw pink. She could, she could be right up in there with the, uh, the rest of them and maybe shock us. But I will say one name. Um, she is uh, 11th right now. Maybe she's too high, but she has not won an Elite Series event. But that's Macy Vela Diaz. She crushed it whenever she showed up, uh, made a huge splash. Um, I think if she commits to touring, I don't know what her plan is. If she commits to touring even half the year, I think she could easily take home a victory. That's fair. I was. Thinking to myself again, breakout, and I see Henna Blumroos. This is a now a conversation of like European breakout versus like U.S. breakout. Like I've seen and I've filmed Henna, like fantastic player. But if I started seeing her on the U.S. tour and she was placing regularly, like top five. I would say that's like a that and maybe a win or two, then I'd say breakout. Kind of like, am, am I wrong in saying this? She's sitting in number one in UDISC rankings. But like Kristen Tatar, was that a breakout year for her last year? If we described it as like US tour specifically, it's a breakout year. I I mean, she won US women's in 2019, correct? Uh, yes. so you could argue that that's her breakout year. And so then this, this comes down to the technic technicality of what yes. you consider a breakout year. But last year was a monumental year for her. Uh, it, I, people are so excited. Uh, I, not just me, other people are so excited for the Europeans to come over. I think so many fans are excited for Kristen Tatar to come over with completely forgetting that Evelina Salonen was rated higher than her for <laughs> yeah. most of last year and didn't, didn't lose the number one spot until recently. Um, Evelina Salonen has won multiple U.S. events before. Um, I believe Memorial and Vegas, she's both won. Uh, she could come over and, and be the dominant one by far and, and have Kristen in her dust. Or it could be the other way, and Kristen could continue on off of last year. Or, or Paige and Kat just say, you know what, North America is ours. Uh, you guys aren't taking it. Or Haley could take it over, or Missy uh, could keep up her her end, great end of the last year. There's so many possibilities. You can see how excited I am about it. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. People see the I'm genuine just going on smiles. And on. People see genuine smiles on our face, and we're like, "This is real." Um, so, a, a few things. I'm reacting to the chat a little bit. Since someone said, "What's the difference between breakout and most improved?" And I think it's a great question because I was stumbling on that. But I think my resolve to that is. 
most improved could be going from 100th to 40th, okay, or 100th to 30th. And I'd say, wow, that player improved way more than somebody going from whatever, pick a number. But I think what I'm talking about breakout is somebody who actually comes into the scene of like competing at or near the top. That to me would be considered breakout. Like you're there, you're close, you've gotten to where you are, but you're now you're going from 30th to 7th or 30th to 6th. And you're finishing in the top five regularly. You might have a podium. You might have a win. That to me would be a breakout year. So that's, that's kind of how I describe it. Um, and then someone shouted out to Maddie, Madison Walker, uh, saying that they just don't feel like she's going to be able to compete and see her being at that elite level. I agree based off of past performances and where the sport has gotten to. She has skills. Madison Walker has skills in disc golf. I think we haven't seen enough out of her with her wrist injury and all that. I think if she's able to say she's healthy, She's throwing the new plastic. I still, I'm going to stick with her. It's, you know, it's, it's a fair shot, I feel like. So, um, all right. We've talked about who might have the breakout year. We're going to wrap out the conversation and probably the podcast with this topic is who is going to have a win this year that has not had a win to date. And there's a fun stat here that Evan and I talked about before the show. Somebody in the top 10 in the men's, or the men's, the mixed PO, the MPO, top 10 has not had a win, but they're in the top 10, which means they perform extremely high. I'm going to let the chat think about this for a second, and then we'll, we'll, we'll bring it up, uh, who that might be. Uh, so that's, yeah, that's this next conversation. So let's pick out of the top, whatever, whoever you want. Who's going to have their win, their first win this year in the MPO? Well, let, let's clarify that it's not the first win in MPO. It's the first elite series or major win sorry. in yes, MPO. Sorry. If they're uh, winning at I, home I'm, in their C tier, exactly. No, it doesn't count. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> but just wanted to clarify that. Um, but So are we not saying who that is in the top 10? Are we letting chat figure no, the it out? No, the chat's had their buffer now, so we can go ahead. So give it to us. All right. So, yeah, Matt Oram, uh, he has played 109 uh, elite series and major events and has not won uh, one. And that's not to knock him. I I think he's absolutely deserving of the number eight spot. So I think uh, I think he's prime for an elite series win this year, similar to how Nico, um, incredibly good player, although he won elite series in the past. I think 2011 he won one or two. Uh, but now has won Preserve and Waco in back-to-back years. I think Matty O could easily do that, where it's surprising but not surprising at all because they're very good. So Matty O, to be clear, uh, was it the Delaware Disc Golf Challenge? That was used to be an NT. Was it not this year? Didn't he win it, or was that Iron Hill? I he won Stafford. He won Stafford, Stafford which was a, a Silver Series event. Okay, so that's close, but it's that's not what that we're talking close. about. It's not what we're talking about. <laughs> And he wiped that field away. He won. <laughs> he crushed it. That was that was as good of a win as you can get. Although I think a lot of players did take that week off. So it, it was a silver series, and then it might have been a a weaker field for a silver series. Silver series, anyways. <laughs> um. All right. But, so people are. I, some people were getting it right. Matteo, uh, guessing correctly. They kept saying Matt will win or Matt will win. Matty will. Win. I'm like, I thought they were talking about me for a minute, and I was like. Thanks for the vote of confidence. I'll have my first win on the tour this year. Announcement coming from me. Okay, uh, MPO, who do you think? Uh, you have a list of who has won or hasn't won, but if mm-hmm. we're going through the top 10, how far do we have to go, Evan, to get to 
um, the next player who doesn't have a win. Can you filter that? I'm going right now to 12th, um, 13th. Yeah, I think it's so it's going to be Andrew Marweed at 11th. Uh, he has oh, played so 37 close. events without a win. So close. He yeah. had the playoff, though. That I mean, that's like, all right. Yep. Will he but get that it this was year? against uh, Kyle, that was Klein. Kyle Klein, who yep. also was his first Elite Series event uh, event win. Yeah. Um, but Joel Freeman at 13th. Yep. Uh, he's also on this list. Off to find him somewhere. How many? 55 total events in Elite Series and majors. Okay, give us two um, more. Give us two more, and then we're gonna talk about who we think might be able to pull off that win. And then we can give a, yeah. then we can give our wild horse as we do on the Nick and Matt show. Um, Someone out of the blue. Andrew, Andrew Presnell's uh, 18th. Okay. Um, and I don't see Vino Makala on my list. He's in 16. Yeah. I don't see him on my list. I don't know if he's one. Okay. Oh no, he is on here. He has played 17. He's just a little, Europeans don't get to play as much unless they come over here. So had to scroll a little bit to find him. So out of that list, out of that list, we're going to go. Andrew Marweed is there. Joel Freeman. Uh, we'll, we'll put Vino in there. If he comes over, Andrew Presnell, um, out of those. And I guess Matteo, but yeah, he's in that conversation. Um, who's going to get, are, are any of those players going to get their first win this year? Or is it getting harder? I, I, I think any one of them could win. I'm not counting any of them out. My pick actually, uh, I'm not going to say before Matt, Matt Oren might be my number one pick to get an elite series win out of those people, but I'm going to say Joel Freeman hmm, because he is very good at a lot of different kinds of courses. He plays very well at LVC. He came in second uh, to Eagles first win at LVC. I believe was that 2019, maybe mm-hmm. I don't remember exactly when, but showed up really well. There has played good at other elite series events, but he played really good at Maple Hill this past year. I believe was it lead card um, a few rounds. I, I think he can play <laughs> in any kind of course uh, he is very, very good. Uh, but not to discredit the other ones because they could absolutely win either. Yeah, but it, you, this is just leave it up to me. I, I want to say, like, Joel Freeman, I think his ceiling right now is his mental game. And he's he's even talked about this on his own YouTube channel. I mean, he's had some heart-to-hearts on his YouTube channel, like apologizing for the way he acts out or says things or kicks his bag or whatever it is, right? How into his head he gets over what happens on the course. If you get rid of that, I think, man, that's the, that's that little advantage I talked about way earlier in the show where he's going to start to get that stroke or two difference, um, I, I believe. So I think that's a great pick, Joel Freeman. Uh, awesome, awesome guy performing at a high level. I feel like, man, I don't think Andrew Marweed's going to get his first win, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him competing uh, at where he is in the top 20 regularly. Like, I think he's going to stay there. I don't think he showed up last year and is going to leave. Uh, Matteo, that's probably my favorite pick out of those as well. So now, if you go down the list, Simon Lazat. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I don't so, know. What, he, what has that guy won before? Yeah, I, <laughs> I don't think anything. <laughs> I was just throwing it out there. If he happened to be listening, maybe he could get a laugh well, out of that. Gannon Burr. Gannon Burr is my wild Burr, horse. Yeah. That's my wild horse. Yeah. Which isn't that wild. That, that kid's really good. So yeah. Uh, again, it'll be interesting. Not only on the FPS side, but MPO as well. I guess I could kind of stick with Corey Ellis in that vein, but I would be surprised if he came out and won, then I'd be like breakout year and first win. And I'd say a lot of nice things about him that he deserves. Uh, so I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to say, um, 
Gannon Burr is I'm someone I'm picking to have their first win, and it would just be amazing to see a young guy like that take down his first event. All right, FPO, different than Breakout because they could have a flash in the pan and win. That's what that's the difference here from Breakout having their first win, or it could be someone in the top three who hasn't had a win, which would be surprising. Um, but so how far do we have to go down the list here? Henna Blumroos, uh, I don't think she has. Uh, elite series. No, she has played eight events without a win. Okay, and we're getting uh, Heather Young. Series. Yep. Um, Owen Scoggins. Um, I'm gonna assume uh, Heidi Line. Line. I'm bad at this. Valerie, I'm sorry. Valerie Mandahano. No win. I'm sure in elite series. Uh, no, I don't think so. Right. So Let's see Alexis. Man. Um. Heather Young, you said no. No. If she can 22 events. If she can up her power game, increase 30 to 50 feet. I know that's a tall task. That's coming from someone who can't increase 30 to 50 feet. But this is what she's doing she, for her career right now. If she can do that, I think I would say yes. Like she should win one. So that's a little asterisk for me on like the why I'm saying the criteria, but man, she should. I feel like she could. That's the only thing holding her back. And then if Henna Blumroos, I haven't seen any announcements, but if she came over and toured, I would give her a pretty significant opportunity as well. Those would be my picks. Yeah. I, I think Henna Blomroos, uh, if she played every event, would be the most likely to. Um, she's very good and gives uh, Kristen and Evelina runs for their money every week over there in Europe. I... <sighs> It's tough. I mean, I, I said Macy Villadilla. She might be my pick. Um, you know, you mentioned Valerie Mandahanu, uh, Heather Young, Owen Scoggins. There's a lot of good picks. I think my – I'm going to go a little bit more dark horse, kind of like you did with MPO. I'm going to say Jennifer Allen. She did win um, uh, Masters Worlds, but in the FPO division, um, I don't think she's won an Elite Series and Major event. I have her down, I have her down as not. Um but she's been crushing it in Arizona to start this season and like crushing it, not just winning, um, which we didn't get to this week about Maricopa, but oh, uh, <laughs> who cares? <laughs> <laughs> she, she has been crushing it. So I don't know her tour schedule. So this is a, it's a shot in the dark, but if she does play a couple, like if she plays like she has been of recently, like maybe there's a chance. Yeah. So is this dark horse pick, wild horse pick, Ella Hansen? <laughs> she hasn't had a win yet. <laughs> uh, that's kind of like the Matteo thing in a way, although she is yeah. only ranked 21st. She's not ranked eighth or whatever Matteo was. So I, I, I Ella Hansen could be, but here's my really wild horse. Sai Ananda. We mm. saw some performances at certain events this last year. I can't recall all of what events those were, but certain performances where she was up there. Would she pull off a win? I don't expect it, but that's my wild horse pick for a win besides Ella Hansen and or Heather Young. I'm giving you a little handful there. So that's those are my picks for their first win. Um, in conclusion here, you mentioned uh, the Maricopa Open. Would you just give us a run-through of the stats as we close out so they can have that information before we go? Because you mentioned it, and now they're all thinking about it as they're driving around, as they're working. So yeah. give, give us the rundown uh, on that. We don't need to elaborate much, but you can give us the details, and we can get ready to close out the show. 
for sure. Uh, J- Jennifer Allen took it down, like I was saying. Um, she beat Kelly McMorin by 12 strokes and Owen Scoggins by 16 strokes. If that sounds familiar, it's because uh, two weeks ago she beat Kelly McMorin by nine strokes and Owen Scoggins by 18. Uh, so exact same top three, exact same blowout. I'm going to say no offense to Kelly and Owen, but Jennifer Allen played extremely well and took it down again. Um on the MPO side, Adam Hammes won. This is his third time winning the Merico Open. Uh, it actually passes Dave Felberg for the most wins in MPO at the Merico Open, Maricopa Open and ties Katrina Allen uh, for the most all-time at that event with three, uh, at least in MPO or FPO. Uh, Luke Sampson was only two strokes behind. Uh, Aaron Gossage was four strokes behind, and Anthony Brella was seven strokes behind. He uh, won the uh, Shirley Sharp Memorial just two weeks ago. Um but uh, that event uh, very notably had crazy high wins in round one. I think I heard something like plus seven was around a thousand rated round. Uh, wild coverage. Uh, Terry Miller, the disc golf guy, has all the coverage if you want to check it out. Yeah, I think I saw him make a post that it's probably the windiest round he's ever filmed, which says something after all these years. Uh, there's been some windy rounds. Uh, all right, we've made it to that time of the show. There's things that we've missed. Uh, there's things that we could have talked about, but this is what we've talked about. We hope you've enjoyed it. Nick is not here uh, to give his love, some tell somebody you love him uh, thing, and I'm not going to make Evan say it. So um, <laughs> I will. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> it's just Nick. Nick says it with heartfelt feeling. It's who he is. So we let him yeah, do I'd, that. We're not going to. I'd be lying if I said it. So no, I'm just kidding. He's I'll like, we're from New that. England. Punch someone in the face and tell them have a good day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so. exactly that's the kind of mean-spirited guy i am <laughs> all right well we got ben over here producing slowly but surely we'll get him a microphone and a camera and he'll eventually work in his way and thank you ben for being on the show doing that um and evan for being here so i will say uh ben you're awesome evan you're awesome until next time peace out everybody the nick and matt show a disc golf podcast designed for you the disc golfer find the nick and matt show on your favorite podcast platforms or join the conversation live on youtube